I'm Isaac Sims. I'm Olivia Clement. And this is Flyover Film Country, a podcast about films and TV set in places off forgotten by Hollywood. And today we're covering Killers of the Flower Moon. We've been talking about it for like two years and we're finally doing it. It's finally out. Finally, finally happening. Martin Scorsese's new masterpiece, question mark? Stay tuned. You'll Stay have tuned. to listen to the rest of the episode. Um, well, Olivia, let's start with you because okay. you literally got out of the movie 40 minutes ago. <laughs> like, yeah, I just got home about 40 minutes ago. I saw it so. last weekend. Um, we're going to mm-hmm. describe our experiences watching the movie, talk a little bit about our relationship with Scorsese and just how this fits into flyover country and all the good stuff because this is mm-hmm. this is a totemic sort of epic movie in one form or fashion so olivia your thoughts are freshest mm-hmm. what did you think about killers of the flower moon oh man uh that's what i thought about it oh so oh wow it, wow <laughs> yeah. just wow I, I knew okay let me start with this so for those of you who don't know killers of the flower moon is based on true events that happened here in oklahoma i say here i i am the one who's in oklahoma isaac is not but for me here in oklahoma and the history of oklahoma it very much reflects the history of the united states it's painted one way but actually played out very differently in real life and so it's just crazy to me that this is not something that is taught in in Oklahoma history although I was I went to see this with my dad he and I were talking about how this should be taught in American history um but anyway the movie was phenomenal I I think that it's terror like it's terrible in the best ways because of of the tragedy that it depicts so like the movie's not terrible at all the movie is fantastic but like it's terrible because of how heart-wrenching it is and how awful the the these events were uh I, i think it's a very well acted movie Lily Gladstone, I think we're probably going to talk about her for forever. Yep. And we could, and we probably will, and I hope we do. But she was so great, and, and in some ways she feels like an underdog in this movie, just because she kind of disappears she is not for well a little known. bit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, she's not as well known as Leo or De Niro, right? Like, people who are referring to by by one name and you know who exactly who they are right yeah um but she is phenomenal she's just wonderful and so so my head is yeah like you you asked me if my head was still spinning and it, it is still spinning from watching the movie because it's it just packs a punch and and yeah so I, i'm just sitting here trying to put together my thoughts and I was trying to do that on my way home and as I was talking about it with my dad on the way home and 
and still haven't really been able to put together the pieces of it just yet. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm just kind of in awe of it right now, but I'm curious, Isaac, what about, what about you? What are your, your thoughts? I was going to add, your... so the, the movie it's, it's set in Oklahoma in the 1920s. So it's after mm-hmm. world war one, um, mm-hmm. DiCaprio and it... plays, um, I mean, a uh, character, a true, like a man who actually lived named Ernest Burkhart. Um, Robert De Niro plays his uncle who kind of takes him in Mm -hmm. and gives him a job and kind of sets up the relationship that with um, Molly, his, his wife who he ends up marrying played by Lily Gladstone. Um, And yeah, so I saw this movie with Josh Davis um, shout out Josh. Okay. And he, wow. Shout out Josh. He, he and I have seen a couple Marvel movies together, but he was mm-hmm. really eager for this because this, uh, is based on a book of the same name, kind of capturing the same true life events. Uh, the book is by David Gran and it's Josh read it and I have not read it. You have not read it. Correct. No, but my dad had, mm-hmm. and so we talked about that too. Yeah. But anyway. Apparently, so the difference between the book and the movie, the book plays out more like a whodunit. And mm-hmm. um, apparently the original script written by Eric Roth um, before uh, Scorsese and DiCaprio got involved was going to be uh, Jesse Plemons' character. Um, he plays the first kind of chief of the FBI um Thomas Bruce White Sr. Um, coming to investigate the murders. It was going to start with him arriving and then kind of go through mm-hmm. that to figure out what what happened. And the story changed basically to start at the beginning with Ernest, played by DiCaprio, arriving in Fairview. I believe it's Fairview. Um, Fairfax. Fairfax. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, there's a lot of oil. The Osage are, you know, very wealthy, but their wealth is restricted. Um, so this movie starts out kind of stylish, kind of like some of Scorsese's other movies, and quickly becomes very, very harrowing. And while it never stops being sort of completely engrossing it is Mm -hmm. it's still sort of punishing and just you know like not and not graphic there are some really graphic and unsettling scenes of several one murder in particular is just really Mm -hmm. heart-wrenching um it's not very it is violent but it's not extremely graphic especially compared to a lot of Scorsese's other movies but it is like just completely emotionally devastating because essentially what ends up happening um, and spoilers for Killers of the Flower Moon but these are this is true story this is not really like spoiling um, right other sorts of fiction because this is history Um, Ernest is not implicated but kind of strung along because he's he's kind of an imbecile he's not super smart um and he's kind of cajoled by his uncle to poison and kill his wife who ends up surviving. But mm. that betrayal 
is really the is the centerpiece of the movie and you get really invested in their relationship because they love each other at the beginning of their relationship and then it just spirals into a like a horrible vat of greed and hatred and like simmering under the surface uh, just driven to the brink of like humanity's most evil sort of like reasons why they would kill another human being Mm -hmm. and that's kind of that kind of summarizes how I feel about it is he, you know, Scorsese has made really long movies that also have completely different tones. Like Wolf of Wall Street mm-hmm. is three hours long and it is edgy and they talk to the camera and break the fourth wall and people are yelling and there's hard cuts and this is a completely different movie, but equally as watchable and but it's also unlike anything he's ever done. You could compare it to silence um, in terms of the heaviness and the deep questions being asked, but it's also completely unique because Scorsese will talk about the end, like kind of <sighs> includes himself as part of like, this is part of our history as a country, but also I'm part of the problem as a filmmaker who is in the past glorified violence and his films. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that a little bit too, but I thought this was a a masterpiece and just really difficult to wrestle with and emotionally devastating. So, Oh yeah. Yeah, no, it was emotionally devastating. And as you were saying how, like I was thinking, man, this is really truly like shows the, how evil people can be. And then you said evil. I was thinking evil in my mind. And then you said, and I was like, wow, that's, we were on the same wavelength for that one. But yeah, it, it really displays the the evil nature that we as human beings can have and have the capacity for. I, I think that often it's really easy for a lot of us to think, oh, well, no, I don't, I would never do anything like that. But I, I think that under the right circumstances, we, we all probably could, which is really scary to think about. But yeah, it's, I, it's almost like a death by a thousand cuts sort of filmmaking too, because there's so many little things in the movie that you can almost miss, but Scorsese gives it just enough emphasis to where it's, it doesn't feel like you're having someone over explain something to you. Like you feel like this is Mm -hmm. kind of a world that you're inhabiting, but also you realize at first I was kind of put at ease like, Oh, they're like married and they love each other. And he really does love her. Uh, yeah. But then little things like the, the, the relatives who say the things about his kids and then, Oh my, Oh, that was he's like, no, actually like about to try to get someone to kill his sister. <laughs> like I'm laughing because, because that's another thing I want to talk about with like, DiCaprio just playing like imbeciles at this later point Play, in his playing career. a himbo yeah is is amazing I wanted, wanted to talk about that a little bit but it's just it's really it's really it's terrible um but what did you think about I didn't mean to interrupt you just a little bit ago um did, did you have 
I, I apologize. I completely cut you off. No, I, I mean, I'm probably going to take it in a different direction than what you were taking uh-huh. where you were headed just now. But I wanted to say, like, as as someone from Oklahoma, it watching things like this and not knowing anything about it until someone like Scorsese puts it on a screen. You know, it's kind of like it, it feels very similar to how people discovered the Tulsa race massacre, right? Like people didn't know about it until the Watchmen, you know, until the the HBO Watchmen series. And I don't, I do know why, like I understand why we don't learn about these things, but man, I just, it is infuriating to me that, that this, these things are a part of our history and we don't t- tell like teach that part of our history because we want to look like we are the good guys and i don't know i think like there has to be some level of responsibility like like almost like a personal responsibility for us to own our our evilness mm-hmm not even like mistakes these are not mistakes these were purposeful strategic planned acts of evil that 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 our our country just doesn't own and it's infuriating to me and then it just leads to you know it leads to things like what we what we saw in in 2020 of just this massive backlash and outrage and and then there's there's people who are like i don't understand why why this group of people are acting like that like mm-hmm. you know things are okay and it's like no things are not okay and we we cover things up and we pretend that things don't exist or didn't happen and 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 here we are in 2023 just now on a wide scale i mean i realized when did the book come out do you know the book was can't uh was released in 2017 and the subtitle is the osage murders and the birth of the fbi and i believe there were 25 like confirmed murders but that there were probably there were definitely more that were not the, yeah confirmed yeah or reported well so yeah so this book came out in 2017 that was the year we graduated from college that was not that long ago yeah. right um, we're still young guys we're we're still young but you know why did it take a book released in 2017 or a movie released in 2023 for this to be something that people hear about I just it's it's sickening but anyway i realized i went on a tangent there i think i think i don't apologize for my tangent no it's it's important and i'm glad that i'm glad that i had the awareness to kick it back to you because that's an important place to kind of start the conversation you know and that's that's why you know we think about watchmen being one of the first things that we covered in depth with Eric back in 
2020, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2020. Mm-hmm. And yep. how, you know, David Green's book was a work of nonfiction, but this is, you know, a a piece of entertainment that serves an incredible role in hopefully bringing, like, shedding light to light on, like, th- these events. Because I, I mm-hmm. knew about the book, but I didn't know that much until I saw the movie. And, you know, the movie is fairly accurate to the in depicting how things happened. And creatively, like, the decisions that Scorsese makes and um, his editor, Thelma Shoemaker... Um, is that her? Do you know that if that's how you say her name? I think I heard someone I pronounce think so. it differently recently. Okay. Oh, I that's how I would have assumed it was pronounced. Okay. That has been his editor f- for Since most of his mean career, Streets, I think. Okay. Um, I was gonna say I I thought it was the per, his editor for pretty much his entire career. Yeah. They the way that they, I I don't know. Let's let's talk about the beginning of the movie. The movie basically. Okay starts with the in a group of osage um elders or elders and kind of like adults having a having a spiritual sort of meeting and gathering and they're talking about they're kind of like praying to to their spirits and they said one thing that was really interesting to me and stuck with me from the beginning of the movie saying our children will not know our ways they will learn mm-hmm. the ways of the of white people mm-hmm. and then right after that it shows a group of young osage men dancing and it's in the trailer too dancing in kind of like the falling oil that they've mm-hmm. discovered in a plot of their land mm-hmm. and then showing stills of black of black and white photographs of them wearing very lavish suits driving nice Mm -hmm. cars and you get this sense of oh so okay they were compensated that's really interesting and even like i didn't it's like it's good they were compensated because it was like the 1920s and you would think that somehow that would be taken away from them because it was uh so many things were taken away from from black people as we know now uh in urban areas or their neighbors neighborhoods were just completely demolished later on in the 40s because of urban renewal but then they show a couple um, of the, like the case files and a couple like reenactments mm-hmm. of several of the murders. Mm-hmm. And from that point, and I think that that's about 20 minutes into the movie. That's pretty early. Mm-hmm. That is the tone that's set like for, for the rest of the movie. Like this is not, mm-hmm. this is not Wolf of Wall Street. This is not fun. This is not us like having a rollicking good time, but also kind of saying, no, these things are bad. Like this is dour and hard to swallow. And this is the journey that we're on. Like, how did did you feel kind of what were your thoughts during those early moments of the movie since you're still, your head is still kind of in it? Well, yeah, like I was going to say, it's, we're not going to be rooting for the bad guy in this one. And and at first you kind of feel like you are, but um, because we're re- or, we're like, really in DiCaprio and De Niro's boots the whole movie, right? Which I want to talk about that 
later. Sure. But for, so bookmark that. Um, but yeah, like, I, I thought it was really interesting because I was like, man, I don't know if I've ever seen old pictures of Native Americans like, like that in nice suits and dresses with, you know, expensive, beautiful jewelry. Um, when they're talking about how they had chauffeurs and, you know, housemaids and that kind of thing. Like, I, I'm like, I don't, that, that is not the narrative I've ever been taught about, you know, Native Americans during, especially during that time. Um, and and so, so it was, it was like, wow, okay, cool. And then, but I was like, okay, cool, but this is all about to blow up and I know it is, right? Because that's, that's the point of this movie, right? And it, 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 like you said, it it talks about, or it shows the, some of the murders that happen and that is the tone that is set of like, this is not going to be fun. We are going to have to witness so many more murders before anything is actually done, which happens, it happens to the Native American, it really happens to any minority community over and over again throughout history, throughout American history specifically. Um, Because there was even, gosh, when was this? I think this was in the 80s, maybe the 70s. I don't remember how long ago it was. I know, I think I, I wasn't, I don't think I had been born yet, but like in Oklahoma City, there was a brash of Native American women being murdered. And to this day, those cases are unsolved. Like it was a serial hmm. killing and they, like, because they were Native Americans, because they were low SES, they they didn't look into it and um it was happening around the time they were destroying old buildings in OKC and trying to remodel downtown and that kind of thing so mm-hmm. um so a lot of their a lot of these women's bodies were found in these like old buildings so so I say all that to say, like, this sets the tone for the movie, but also it's reflective of how minorities, specifically Native Americans, specifically Native American women. Did you know that, like, I don't know what the rate is, but, like, Native American women go missing all the time Hmm. and are just, like, like, uh, of any population, that's the group that is... murdered or missing at like an alarming rate i think the only group that maybe is murdered more is black trans women Hmm. so i did um, not know that and i only know that because some of my some of the people i worked with at nike some of my friends that i used to work with they are native american and they will like post stats about it on their like instagram and i was just like that's that's cre- why does no one do anything about that? And so it'll be interesting. Um, I feel like I'm kind of all over the place, 
And so I apologize for that. No, you're good. But um, it'll be interesting to see how kind of that kind of thing is depicted in the next season of True Detective, because I think it's also talking about indigenous, because um, it's taking place in Alaska, but also Na- Native American indigenous people. So anyway, but yeah. That was a kind of a, it was a, not a focal point, but it was one of the main kind of subplots of wind river which has yes. has a lot of failings um that that's a movie that i think fails in a way that killers of the flower moon doesn't in that mm-hmm. it's kind of like elizabeth olsen and jeremy uh renner renner yeah i was like about to say alan white and i knew that wasn't it um hawkeye <laughs> jeremy renner are the heroes which- kind of solving that the the mystery of like a missing woman on the reservation and um it's still very harrowing and effective i think that's um yellow taylor yes taylor Taylor sheridan yeah yellowstone yeah um still pretty i didn't know that yeah yeah but kind of like this should this shouldn't be like this is kind of white savior complex here killers of the Mm -hmm. flyer moon is different because Scorsese is owning I'm telling this story as a white director mm-hmm. and I'm following the white villains like I'm showing you the evil every mm-hmm. step of the way and for that reason like uh, people have I know there has been a little bit of backlash and sort of like he has no right to tell this story this belongs mm-hmm. to the Osage and they're that is that is true mm-hmm. but also the perspective inerrant to this story and this telling of the story is from the perspective of the evil white <laughs> freemasons and those who have devised the complex plot to kill the osage and it's like really harrowing the whole time because mm-hmm. you're in there pov when they're saying evil things and kind of like under the surface simmering things and also just acting like like this is this was all a bad a really badly conceived plot like they didn't try to hide much yeah and it it kind of becomes very apparent at the end i kind of wondered man did they did he get off did he get away with it because this seems like really obvious even it, it even gets a little humorous whenever they start showing uh Hale, played by Robert De Niro, trying to like cover up things. The mm-hmm. guy that Sturgill Simpson plays just like gets shot and he's driving his car and he just like runs into a tree. It's kind of funny mm-hmm. because they're showing you they did not think this through. Like once like the government came, like like right. it was a suspicious amount of people that they had killed and it was just really terrible. But also Yeah. Not well planned. Well, because who I don't remember what character it was, but one of the characters comes up to Hale at one point and is like, "A lot of people have died, man. You need to be careful." Well, it's become it's become and I, a meme. I'm almost positive it was a sh- the sheriff who told him that. Yeah, too. yeah. He's like, "You're you're overstepping." <laughs> like after he literally yeah. blew up the house. <laughs> yeah, and, and okay, but here's the thing though: in the twenties. 
you could get a you literally oh, could yeah. could get away with murder. Yep. Like it was so much easier to kill people then. Absolutely. Like like I'm and like I'm kind of saying that in a joking manner, but like genuinely it was a lot easier to kill people, especially a group of people that quote unquote no one cared about. Right? So like it yeah, so so you could be sloppy with it. You could you could sure have a half-baked plan and and i think like he like hale thought through thought things through however Ernest, played by dicaprio like we've said he's he was not uh he was not very bright even though he he tried to act like he was smarter than what he was uh he was not super thoughtful and and some of the other players that they roped in to to actually do the murders to commit the the murders were also dumb and so i mean if you're if you're going to incorporate include other people into your your murder plan yet you got to trust them you got to know that they're going to do what the what you asked them to do and if you don't then you gotta take them out. I mean, it's it's basic mafia one hundred and one, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> we could, you know, I'm not gonna say. I'm just else. saying, like, <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, no, I, but and also, the FBI is not what it is today. They they didn't get involved until twenty five plus people had been murdered and yeah. after the osage nation paid them twenty thousand dollars which is a lot of money by today's standards right so i mean hold on i'm about to look up how much money that was in the 1920s yeah um quite a bit yeah in yeah yeah so it's it's funny like i'm i'm gonna just shout out other people that kind of show up in the movie scott shepherd plays byron burkhart who's um uh Ernest's brother louis louis mm-hmm. can't i think it's cancel me which is funny um plays kelsey morrison who is the guy with like the really insane facial structure who carries out a lot of the um murders or who's one of the main kind of go-betweens and mm-hmm. he's really good jason isbell plays bill smith yeah. i didn't realize that that was jason isbell until after the movie i didn't either he's really the whole good time, in this movie he is the whole time i was like man who i who know i know guy? this dude from yeah. somewhere who is this guy yeah. and then i saw his name pop up and i was like oh country musician um already kind of yeah. already shout out sturgill simpson i i just Mwah. chef's kiss i love sturgill simpson so much i think he's awesome i could see him being kind of like a, a a real star later in his career mm-hmm. um care jade May- myers plays anna like kind of she kind of dominates the screen for a good portion of the movie and is one of the most heartbreaking um deaths in the movie jillian dion plays Minnie. William Bellow plays uh, Henry Rowan, and Janae Collins plays Rita. Um, 
And Tantu Cardinal plays Lizzie Q, who is uh, Molly's Molly and Anna's mother. And how about that? How about that scene where the, with the owl? Oh man, that was terrifying. It was so good, though. It was really good. So the owl yeah. kind of represents once you when you see it, you know you're dying. And shortly after Lizzie sees it. She tells Molly that she saw the owl and that means you're going to die. And then she dies, I think the next day or a couple days later and her, the way that they filmed her kind of entering into the next life with her ancestors. Mm -hmm. And I think her husband is kind of supposed to be one of the characters there greeting her. That was really, really amazing. It reminded me, do you remember the, there've been, a couple scenes like this in Reservation Dogs. Um, mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, Reservation Dogs is um, executive produced by Taika Waititi and mm-hmm. um, created by Sterling Harjo, who has been a um, he's kind of a younger producer director, but uh, he's Native American and it's filmed on a reservation. It falls four young Native Americans in their teens trying to. Uh, figure out their lives and come of age. And there are a couple scenes like that in reservation dogs where it is really effectively and beautifully rendering this sort of spiritualism that native Americans, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm painting with a broad brush purposefully, um, because in the, I don't remember, um, what tribe, uh, they're from in, they, they don't specify. They purposely don't specify in reservation dogs. They, they keep it, uh undisclosed just for, for it to encapsulate maybe the whole like native americans as a whole as yeah. opposed to like a specific tribe um but i i think within most native american tribes they view owls as an omen mm-hmm. um which they talk about in this film as well uh lizzie q is asked by Molly if she saw an owl, which she says no to, even though she did, uh, because owls mean death. Death is coming. Uh, they say death is coming um, in the movie. That's like, I think that's what it means to the Osage nation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what it means within every single tribe, but yeah, I know for sure that's what it means within the Osage nation. Yeah, but... It, for those of you who don't, who haven't seen Reservation Dogs, it's on FX on Hulu, and it is mm-hmm. one of the best TV shows of the last decade. Um, Olivia and I love it, and it wrapped up its third and final season a couple of weeks ago. But you should go check it out, mm-hmm. um, and really, it's kind of helped me understand, um, you know, life on a reservation for sure, and uh, a little bit more, but also just the perspective of Native Americans and um, and their place, kind of in a it in American society now and kind of mm-hmm. how strange it is that they have reservations and the, that jurisdiction in and of itself and other mm-hmm. aspects. So, yeah. 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 And like killers of the flower moon reservation dogs is set in Oklahoma. It's filmed in Oklahoma. So it is very much flyover. true flyover, true flyover. So yeah. Um, and, and there are a few actors from, reservation dogs that are in killers of the flower moon like lily gladstone who plays molly 
is also in Reservation Dogs. Um, Janae Collins, who plays Rita, is in it. I haven't gone through and looked exactly at how many of these actors show up in Reservation Dogs, but Mm -hmm. those two for sure are in Reservation Dogs. Uh, I'm going to guess there's probably a little more overlap than I have been able to go through and realize just this just yet but yeah anyway uh and that is our our ad for reservation dogs and our episodes that we've covered over seasons one and two should we do yes, season three we have we probably should yeah maybe first of next year we can get to it i'll give me some time to catch yeah. up yeah anyway anyway killers of the flower moon so good how'd you think about uh uh, how do you what do you think about the memes that have come out about uh, uh Jesse Plemons character saying been come coming down here to see about these insert events and then DiCaprio <laughs> saying what about him and then Jesse Plemons saying we'll see who's doing them <laughs> yeah it's like a rare <laughs> funny moment in yeah the movie I haven't really seen that many memes about it about that particular scene. It's but all I do over love X, that formerly known as Twitter. I have actually spent very little time on Twitter this past week or so, which is it's probably good has thing. probably been really good for me. Yeah, I actually probably should tell you guys this at some point. I think I'm going to take a break from social media, but we can pl- talk about that later. Yeah, that's we a can different conversation for a different time. But I love that Jesse Jesse Plemons somehow becomes a meme yep in a lot of his movies like uh i'm thinking of like game night when he's got his dog how can that possibly be good for frito-lay corporation how can that <laughs> how can that be profitable profitable to lay <laughs> they had to buy, buy oh, five man. get one buy one get five or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man it's so good he's so good i I how do you let's do you want we want to talk about the cast? Yeah, sure. I let's mean, talk about the cast because some of the big people. I was like, when is Brendan Fraser going to show up? When's John Lithgow yeah. going to show up? And uh, I had an idea of when Jesse Plemons was going to come in, but sure. <laughs> did you? Well, I forgot that John Lithgow was going to be in it until I heard his voice, and I was like, is that John Lithgow? I love John Lithgow is one of those people where I'm like, I love no matter what he is. Mm-hmm. what sort of role he's playing i love it when he shows up i'm like yes he's let's go let's go come on i i agree i feel like we as a society probably do not talk about him enough like yeah. his ability as, as an actor to just i i just i whatever character he's playing i agree with you like it's like yes let's go john lithgow is in this this is amazing um <laughs> i saw someone kind of saying that uh uh, I think it was Brendan. Like when Brendan Fraser, the first time you see him in the movie, he's mm-hmm. playing. And apparently, this is really how it happened. Brendan Fraser is playing a character named W.S. Hamilton, who was William Hale, William King Hale's um, prosecutor or his uh, defense attorney. And mm-hmm. he, technically, according to the, whatever contract Ernest signed, he was also Ernest's lawyer. And it, immediately when Ernest was se- on the stand, seated, mm-hmm. Brennan Fraser's character, W.S. Hamilton, before they even like started, he just said, 
that man is my client. I've not had a chance to talk to my client because they, he was arrested by the FBI for mm-hmm. like the, you know, for these mur- for a couple of these myrtle murders. And he just explodes. And it's one of those, like the movie had been so like kind of just going along mm-hmm. and like it's going and all right. It, it, it's very like kind of one tone and you kind of don't know what's going to happen. And, but he got caught and and then it just like the the mood just changes and it's really funny because you're like oh okay it's like almost like a release because it erupts he erupts and he's yelling and people were kind of making fun of his performance i thought it was really good i think Mm -hmm. he's playing it perfectly and he has like the face partially to like convey this sort of you know like he has that face he's just a huge guy in the movie um Mm -hmm. he probably has a lot of that weight from the whale still on Mm -hmm. and or maybe leading up to the whale because this movie was filmed in 2019 can you believe that no i can't it was filmed like a very long time ago or that's when pre-production started maybe filmed in 2020 and 21 but it is it was like crazy in pre-production in 2019 which is insane but yeah what do you think about brendan fraser no i think i think you're right like that man is it, my client. That man is my client. And I haven't had the chance to talk to him. He was, yeah, I think that that explosion, it did take me, like, I kind of jumped in my seat because I wasn't expecting it. Like, it, it took me aback. But I think it was, like, just what was needed in that moment because things were getting so, so, like, just the tension was building and you didn't know when it was going to, like, release. And I think that that helped release some of the tension and you know he's only on screen i bet he's on screen for a total of like five six minutes Mm -hmm. he is not in it for very long but he i mean i mean he comes in and and just takes over Mm -hmm. which is so cool i love that for brendan fraser i love i love the the renaissance he is having. Me too. The renaissance, if you will. The renaissance. Let's just say, let's just say what it is. It's a renaissance. It's a renaissance. Yeah. Um, so, how are you feeling about De Niro in this movie? It took me a second his... to get used to his southern accent, and once yeah. I got used to it, I was kind of sitting there just in awe every time he was delivering some some juicy juicy lines line readings and i was thinking to myself is this like his best performance <laughs> it's really I, it's really really good it's really good no he's really good it did take me a minute to get used to his accent uh also i don't i don't love leonardo DiCaprio, like just kind of like as a person and i know that's because my mom has never liked him so i have by proxy just adopted that mentality um, I want to know more about I don't, this, but finish your thought. Okay, because I was gonna say because I don't think for myself, I guess. But um, <laughs> that's not what I meant. No, I know, I know that's not what you meant. I was gonna say that regardless. But anyway, so I haven't seen a whole lot of his movies, and so I don't know if he does this in all of his movies or if I just noticed this because I think this is the first time I've seen one of his movies at the theater, like on a big screen. His eyebrows, they're not like. Wait, Colin DiCaprio Farrell. or De Niro? DiCaprio. Yeah. He has some funny eyebrows. 
He does. They're not like Colin Farrell eyebrows, but they're they're just I don't know the way he like will like like scrunch his eyebrows or like furrow his bro- his eyebrows mm-hmm. together and they're like really sharp. They're if very that makes sharp. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was kind of distracting to me. And I, I think it was only distracting because I've never noticed it before. Also, he kind of looked like the when he 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 like was like frowning a lot in this movie. It felt very pronounced to me. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I don't know if it's because I've seen like five DiCaprio movies. But I don't know if I've ever noticed that in that way before. And so it was just it was just funny to me, like, looking at that on the big screen. All that to say, he gave a, a wonderful performance. He was so good as the, like, I said himbo earlier. And, like, himbos <laughs> are, like, lovable characters like Ken and Barbie. Any of the Kens and Barbie. Yeah. But his character is not necessarily lovable. He's just... He's just a dunce who is trying to make some money, and yeah. I, I don't know if I actually believe he loved Molly or if he loved the idea of Molly. Yeah, does that make sense? And so, yeah. but I think, I think because of DiCaprio's performance, I left wondering that, and I and I and I think a lesser actor would have not left that to be a question. And I like that that's a question that I have. Yeah, and well and I think I think that the, it kind of um that's that's such an important point and it's really it's important because it's really the crux of the entire um movie is like their mm-hmm. emotional you have to believe that they love each other and that's why it's so devastating there at the end. So like what ends up happening is DiCaprio's arrested. He's like, you've kind of seen him quote unquote break bad because Mm -hmm. do you real quick, this kind of ties in, but do you remember the, the scene in the trailer where they say, he says, can you find the wolves in this picture? And then it shows all of the people in the Freemason, uh, group kind of turn yes. toward the camera and it's just really like bone chilling yes <laughs> so yes. that yes, scene yes, in the yes, movie yes. he is like you can tell he cannot read very well but he can read yeah and he kind of says that when he in his first conversation with his with uh de niro he's like i i can read and you're like mm-hmm. you can't read and then he's like oh he can read but he's like is not very yeah. good at it he's re- also he's he reading like have, sorry go yeah to interrupt i'm sorry he has to have some level of intelligence if he learns osage yes right because he does like later on the movie he's speaking it he learns it well enough to like understand it but also learns how to speak it because it's one thing to kind of understand some words here and there but to be able to speak a whole different language and converse like he he can't do it quite like uh his uncle can Mm -hmm. But he can do it because he and Molly have have some conversations back and forth in Osage, which is really interesting. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt no, you. No, you're good. During that, he. Anyway, 
What's so Back crazy about like that scene in the movie is he's reading it and he says, can you find the wolves in this picture? Then he mm-hmm. closes the book, puts it down. He goes with his brother and they rob several Osage mm-hmm. uh, community members who are very wealthy. They take all their jewelry and then he loses all of the stuff. That he all of it immediately in a game of poker. And you can tell like this guy's just a moron. Like he's just not yeah. like he's not super smart. And so he just makes stupid decisions. They arrest him, but at that point, he's like, kind of been lured into this way of thinking of like, I can get away with both. I can have my wife, but I can also like kill my sister in law. She's kind of annoying. Like, you can see where he's at. He's gonna testify. Then, uh, <laughs> his uncle spanks him, and uh, W. S. Henderson, played by. Brendan Fraser convinces him they beat you. Mm-hmm. Like, no, they beat you. Like, you need to say they beat and it didn't you. Take, it didn't take any convincing. Yeah. It, he's just like, like he's just like, getting no, freaked no, out. No, sir, they didn't they didn't beat me. They kept me up a long time, but they didn't they didn't beat me. They he goes, beat you. No, they beat you. And he goes, You're right, they beat me. And it's like, yeah. what? And and he goes and he's talking to his he's talking to Molly, and Molly's super sick because mm-hmm. she's being poisoned. Um, he mm-hmm. and he knows that it's happening. He's like been the one who's actually been poisoning her, and the re- thing that ends up turning him around to telling him telling the truth and realizing, no, this is my wife, and I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna go along with this, is, and this is my family that they're killing is the death of his child, which was mm-hmm. from pneumonia, I believe. Um, yeah, and it's just like back and forth and back and forth, and finally. Molly understands what's happening and she sees him after the trial when William Hale is convicted. Ooh. That oh. scene, holy that scene. cow. Uh, real quick about wow. that scene. We can talk about it in a second. I want to say this though. Yep. In the theater next, like the auditorium next to me, <laughs> I could hear Grand the Taylor Turismo. Swift concert. <laughs> No, I could hear the Taylor Swift concert, and I'm almost positive she was on her reputation set during that scene, and I know that that doesn't matter to anyone else, but I think it's hilarious and so timely that when Molly calls Ernest out on the the insulin, yeah, that and I could hear reputation that set going i was like this is this is this is for no one else but me this is for me this this felt so good but anyway that scene let's talk about that scene just as a whole because now they got bad blood because now they've got bad blood yep Um, um yeah no that's that scene was that's where it all comes to a head and he oh man he can't get around it he can't she knows he's lying and she just gets up and walks out and then they divorce and that's it. She's Wild. a better woman than me because I would have pun- at least punched him in the face if not yeah. actually tried to fight him. But um you won't. Yeah, she's a better woman <laughs> than me. What? Like you you tell Ernest, "You won't you won't fight me." And and he would go, "Oh, okay, no, I, I won't. I won't, I fight, won't you. fight you." I won't fight you. Yeah, I also don't know if he would re- retaliate. I think he would feel like, yeah, I deserve this, you know. Yeah. 
at least the character i don't know about the real person yeah so anyway anyway no that scene it was lily that that scene alone should give her her oscar yep because she she's so poised in that scene but also she is striking him with a dagger in that scene mm-hmm. too like there there's no she's not holding back but she's also not without composure i i don't know how like i don't know how she does that so that strikes that balance so well but she does it and she crushes it and that's similarly like and, uh, what's so great about her in this um movie is that she is toe-to-toe with DiCaprio the whole time, and yeah. she, you're looking at her more than you're even paying attention to DiCaprio. That's how powerful mm-hmm. she is as a screen presence. Yeah, yeah. which to do that with an actor like DiCaprio, I, I think really speaks to her her ability as an actor. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's, that's not something I feel like most people can do. And, and I haven't seen Wolf of Wall Street, but I'm going to guess that's something margot robbie probably did with with him that's, in that is Wolf so true i hadn't thought about that i mean because because i that was her first that was her first role was wolf of wall street and i mean now she's a house that was her you know, first like name. really big role yeah it may have been her first american role she was 22 as well. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. I forget how young she anyway. is. She's, like, not that much older than She's us. She's only a couple of years older than us. Yeah. Which is crazy. Anyway, Lily Gladstone. Back to her. Lily Gladstone. Yeah. I, I think... I also think she has... And I say this. I, I saw where Scorsese said this about her, about how she just has very striking eyes mm-hmm. where where you just you want to like look into her eyes and, and know what she and so she's able to convey so much with just her eyes and Scorsese was was talking about how how powerful that is for for actors to be able to do and how few actors can actually do that and she does that really well mm-hmm. and he he praises her and even said that she's she's one of the best actors she, he's ever had the chance to work with, which is really saying something because yep. he's worked with a lot of actors. He's a lot of great Scorsese, actors. yeah. So, um, so I mean, if, if Scorsese is saying it, I think that's, that speaks so highly to her her ability as an actor. Yep. Yeah. Um, how does this compare to other Scorsese movies you've seen? Well, I've only seen Goodfellas and Shutter Island. Nice. So, very different. Yep. Very different. The, all three of those movies are so different from each other because, I mean, Goodfellas is, like, probably one of the, like, classic mobster movies at this point. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. It's, it, like, it, it's, it's like the mobster movie. It's like the mobster movie. And the whole time you're, like set to root for the for Ray Liotta's character mm-hmm. even though he's a terrible person 
And Shutter Island is really interesting because it's like kind of spooky without actually being spooky. And you're wondering what's going on the whole time. I guess it's like more of a thriller, so to speak. And then this, even though this is, Goodfellas is based on a true story too, that felt way more like fictionalized to me than this did. And kind of what you were saying earlier about how like Scorsese, bless you, did you sneeze? Yeah. Okay, bless you. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, kind of what you were saying earlier about how Scorsese at the end, which I would like for us to talk about that scene at the very end too. Oh yeah, yeah. Of, of how he is acknowledging that he's been part of the problem. Like Goodfellas is super cool, and it makes you think, oh, maybe being a mobster wouldn't be terrible, even though it is. Like, there's no way that's a good <laughs> life yeah, for yeah. anyone. But there are parts of it that look really cool and awesome or whatever but it's like actually a terrible life and and but like wolf of wall street does the same thing right like i've seen where where it apparently is supposed to be satirical but from what i from what i've heard from other people it's like i don't know he he it makes it look like uh that guy is really cool and really awesome and and even though he was a terrible person he had such as you know this lavish lifestyle or whatever right and so so this felt like it just felt so different from those two movies because this is not necessarily glorifying what the they these characters were doing um i say not necessarily it definitely was not glorifying what those characters were doing it was I think stating more facts about these things as opposed to like making any of this look fun or cool or right or and you know what I mean yeah absolutely and and I think I ha- I'm not a completist um I plan to finish out his filmography next year but from what I have seen of uh, his his films, there is a there is a certain sort of like style and like momentum in his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and he's always been asking big questions, even if like the subject matter or scale may be kind of smaller. So like Mean Streets is sure. about like. It's not even citywide. It's just kind of like a, a neighborhood and like a couple couple main characters. But then you have silence. It's like, does God are you there? <laughs> you exist like, and mm-hmm. it's a very sincere and really really powerful interrogation of faith, based on also like um, a work of nonfiction, Wolf of Wall Street, American capitalists are like, like reflecting the core rottenness of you know mm-hmm. our country and you know the human heart to a large degree and raging bull jake lamotta just like fall from grace and you know just problematic he's like always worked with really problematic characters and subject matter and you know the day 
the heyday of like film as popular entertainment, I think could have also, you could argue that it was also the time where people could read and understand movies best. And now we're in a Mm -hmm. place where, you know, you're, you're getting people (laughs) misunderstanding Oppenheimer, like thinking that it's like pro war (laughs) propaganda when it's like completely, it's not. And you're going to get people like that here too, except swinging, swinging a little bit far on the harder side, you know, being overly critical of a work like this that is equally condemning of such heinous acts. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think about, what do you think about like the last, the very, very last scene with Scorsese and, and and talk a little bit about Devery Jacobs um, kind of backlash to this movie and, and who she is and, so because yeah, I want to so know I want to know your thoughts scene... about it because you and I texted about it several days ago before mm-hmm. you saw the movie. Um, Devery Jacobs is a one of the main characters and actors in Reservation Dogs, Native American, mm-hmm. and had a very strong negative response to Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, yeah. So the final scene is um, it 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 follows. Correct me if I'm wrong. It follows the scene between Molly and Ernest when she asks him what was in the insulin, right? Like, that's... Yes. That's... It it follows that scene, right? Okay. So... So the very next scene is you see a crowd of people, like, in an auditorium... And then it cuts, it shows the stage and it's a radio show and you quickly realize, oh, this is like a true crime radio show, but it's like a reenactment of the crime. And so it talks about basically killers of the flower moon, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so since there were no TVs back in that time, they listened to radio shows and didn't watch TV shows. And so it's talking about that and you see you actually see jack white is one of the actors in that Mm -hmm. um jack white of the white stripes which is crazy who he also bought a house in tulsa because he liked tulsa so much so he just he has a house in tulsa good which is crazy and and then so that they're all doing the reenactment and then Instead of doing, which I kind of actually thought this was so interesting, because at the end of any movie based on a true story, right, it tells you what what happens afterwards, right? Like, what happened to these characters in real life? What, you know, how long they were in prison? How they died? What happened with their families? That kind of thing. So instead of that, they read that off, or, or Scorsese... It, it, it's like a Stan Lee cameo. I was not expecting it. It really took me by surprise to see Martin Scorsese up there and he reads what happens to all the characters. Mm-hmm. So in real life. Um, and, and 
I didn't I didn't cry at all throughout the movie until he read about he read Molly's obituary. Yep. And that is when I cried and I think it it made me so sad because she she was only 50 when she died and that's such a short life. And I I realized this was the 20s and she died I think in the 40s. And so I realized this was 80 years ago. But still, um, what a short life she had and what a hard life she had. And, and I, I, it made me think about, and the movie as a whole obviously makes you think about the, the tragedies that have been done to and against the Native American mm-hmm. community. And, and it is just, it's heart-wrenching, honestly. And, and I don't want to harp on that because we've, we've already talked about that and I already went on my rant about that. Um, so so that's the final scene. Mm-hmm. And, and then it cuts to a drum circle and you see them, you see people hit, like hitting the drum. And I thought it was going to be set in that time, but it, it pans out and you see Native Americans around and they're wearing jeans. They look there. It's it's a modern shot. And so I my guess is because this is um this was filmed in Oklahoma. There were these were actual Oklahoman Native American um, individuals there who were probably extras on the film. So anyway. Did so you know some ends. that were, or did you know some that know some that were? Uh, it was it was know some who know some. So there was um, so so just because I I work at the university in which I attended grads for grad school, I have helped out with like doing interviews for the graduate program, and one of the people I was doing interviews with or like helping to do the interviews with she was a student at the time so she was in grad school at the time and this was this was about two years ago I think Mm -hmm. um she said that her boyfriend who I think she's now married to was an extra I I don't remember what she said that her boyfriend was doing um but he was an extra in the film and so it was just really cool. And I, I remember seeing people who had relatives that were like, that are Native American that were on set and got to like be extras for it. And so it, it was it was cool to see that I was only just a couple degrees removed from that, um, mm-hmm. from this film. So anyway, going back to... Devery Jacobs. So Devery Jacobs, like Isaac said, was in Reservation Dogs as one of the four main kids. She plays Alora, and she's actually our age, which I think is so weird to me because she plays like a sixteen-year-old in the show. Yeah. But she doesn't look our age. Like she she looks a lot younger, which makes sense. Mm. Um, so she posted on her Instagram story. I have thoughts. I have strong feelings. This film was painful, grueling unrelenting and unnecessary graphic and you and i talked about this earlier of how we felt like this wasn't 
as graphic as it could have been and or even not graphic unne- by- yeah i don't bl- i don't agree that it's unnecessarily graphic sure uh and it's definitely not graphic for scorsese standards mm-hmm. is that fair yeah i believe however so. she goes on to say and, and there's some strong language and i'm not going to repeat the language so i will sure. go from there but she says being indigenous Watching this film was literal effing hellfire. Imagine the worst atrocities committed against your ancestors and then having to sit through a movie explicitly filled with them for the, with the only respect being 30-minute long scenes of the murderous white guys talking about and planning the killings. It must be noted, she goes on to talk about how Lily Gladstone carried Molly with tremendous grace, which I think I agree she very much did. If it weren't Lily playing her, I don't know that this portrayal would have been as three-dimensional or human. Lily and all the other incredible indigenous actors were the only redeeming factors of this film. Give Lily her GD Academy Award. Uh, And she goes on to talk about how proportionally each of the Osage characters felt painfully underwritten while the white men were given way more courtesy and depth. Which I I, I understand where she's saying, like, coming from without argument um she felt like uh she says i understand that the goal of this violence is to add brutal shock value that forces people to understand the real horrors that happen to this community but i don't feel like these very real people were shown honor or dignity in the horrific portrayal of their deaths Contrarily, I believe that showing more murder to Native women on screen, it normalizes the violence committed against us and further dehumanizes our people. And to top it off, to see that the way that film nerds are celebrating and eating this shit up makes it, my stomach hurt. Um, and she talks a lot about how... Oh, she so she, she talks about how... Um, Native Americans are often portrayed like the the stereotypes they're portrayed, and she says at the like the scene that we were just talking about of the the drumming, she says it doesn't absolve the film from painting Native folks as helpless victims without agency. Um, and then she says in a massive f u to the real life white Oklahomans who still carry and benefit from those bloodstained head rights. And I don't truly actually know much about head rights. Um, I'm not native or I'm not, I actually have no idea if I have any native blood in me. And so I, but I'm definitely not native enough to know anything about like having that kind of stuff. But there are a lot of people I know who are very white and, and, and I realize like me, what I'm about to say um is probably going to sound hypocritical considering like i am a quarter mexican and that doesn't take away uh, my skin color and my complexion does not take away the fact that i am a quarter mexican just because i'm so white so i realize the hypocrisy like how i'm going to sound hypocritical in this statement there are a lot of people i know who are as pale as i am who who are card card carrying native american members of whatever tribe um what i think so with that being said 
I also am not going around being like, yes, I'm so Mexican because I, I don't practice any anything really, so to speak, of like the culture of Mexican people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and often I'll see people be like, oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm native. And it's like, you don't participate in your tribe. You don't participate in any sort of like cultural practices or religious practices of your tribe you know really so little about your tribe and i'm not and maybe i i shouldn't sit there and be like that doesn't make you native um which is not what what i'm necessarily going with but what i what i'm saying with all this is like i do think that i i understand the backlash that devery jacobs has and I know she's not alone in that. I think it's really hard for someone of a different cultural background to write and direct and create characters with a different background. Um, and, and so because of that, there's this backlash, right? And... and I think that Scorsese did a good job of making sure of incorporating so many elements of the Osage Nation, right? Like he wanted to get people who who actually were our native um, Osage speakers who were able to teach the actors how to speak the language. And I, I think he, he tried really hard to pay attention to those cultural elements that a maybe a lesser director wouldn't have cared about or tried to pay as much attention to. And and so I, I don't want to, like, discredit Scorsese with that. I do, I mean, you said earlier how this movie is focused on, or, or we're kind of in the boots of, De Niro and DiCaprio throughout most of the movie. And so I do wonder how different the telling of the story would be if, or the retelling of the story would be if a Native American director was at the helm or if it was written by a Native American writer, you know? And, yeah. and so I she everyone is entitled to their opinion. And so I'm not sitting here being like argumentative with her or anything. Sure. Um, also this is no one's going to hear this, but like 20 people. So, you know, so I, I say all that to say, like, I understand where that, where, where she's coming with from with all of this. Um, and I see her point. Like, I, I totally see her point of like, it often feels like on a mainstream, big budget film or show, minorities, the stories of minorities are only played out in the horrific atrocities, atrocities that have, that have occurred to them, like that have been done to them. Um, you know, think about how, how often movies about slavery are like the big hit at the academy awards right and how we've kind of like how, peaked with that i feel like 12 years a slave was one of the more recent like 
holistic right. movies about that subject matter but then like if Beale mm-hmm. Street could talk kind of got a mm-hmm. a little bit of a, a bump and Regina King won for that and you know there this this may be the sort of uh like appropriate reckoning you know in popular culture um Mm -hmm. just in terms of our country really you know there, there there really hasn't been like a popular culture grappling and reckoning with what's happened with native americans and starting with yeah the trail of tears and columbus and and or columbus and then the trail of tears um just in terms of like the scant things that i was taught you know uh in history yeah and right like christopher columbus was like a hero and we we had a whole day for him and it's like no christopher columbus was a colonizer who almost destroyed you know half of the native american tribes at the time you know like Mm-hmm. and started that started started the colonization of um, of these the indigenous people right and so we don't talk we don't fra- we don't talk about that we don't phrase it like that mm-hmm. and so anyway but i agree like i nothing to this caliber i think has been very mainstream but we often see kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the comments that Ernest's relatives were were making towards his children who are half white, half Osage. We see stuff like that all the time and the stereotypical, you know, I think about like cowboy or like Western movies and how Mm -hmm. Native Americans are portrayed in those movies. Um, so, So... it's, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's important to just kind of think, and thank you for summarizing all every, everything from what Devery Jacobs said. Uh, and it's not our place to, you know, talk about what's right or wrong. Just right. in terms of the depiction of the movie, we've kind of said our opinion of, mm-hmm. you know, what, what we think. And that's good enough for now. Well, and, and, I, yeah. and I think, sorry. Go ahead. You finish your thought. Just that, just that, you know, my, my, my only thought that I'll add to that is there have been a lot of like 12 years, like movies in line with uh, 12 years a slave in mm-hmm. order to like really show what it was like, not exactly mm-hmm. what it was like, but really what it was like. And this is in a similar vein in terms of, you reckon with history so that you can heal, you know, like whether it's a people group or, um, uh, like a specific event in a community or whatever it is. Um, this, this is similar in that regard, but there was such sensitivity and care and like a specific, if at the very least, um, personal sort of ownership that (laughs) Scorsese took Mm. by appearing at the end, reading the obituary and, you know, like Mm. this man cares. And, and, and that's not to negate any of like, I believe that there was either a producer or a 
translator consultant on the film who on the red carpet kind of had some pretty strong thoughts, not against the movie, but just about like, this is kind of a difficult thing. Like I have mixed feelings about the movie because, um, I, I really apologize. I wish I had his name so that, um, we could cite, we could cite him, but I'm paraphrasing just that a, you know, a, a native director would have handled this movie differently and told it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the movie is unique in that it is really like, like showing the evil from Burkhart and King. So, yeah. And yeah, it's definitely not a, uh, one you're going to throw on every once in a while. And it's not as stylish. It's not a casual watch. Yeah. It's not stylish like Oppenheimer, but it is like, it is necessary American viewing in an epic in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Right. Well, and I think too, like, with movies like this and with like 12 Years a Slave, this is something that to those, specifically like black people and Native Americans, to those groups of people, which we do not i like belong to or even want to like speak to that experience because we can't like you and i just can't do that i i think to those groups of people though what happens is they are taught this history you know from older generations whereas for for white people we're not taught that stuff because white people have been in control and have been dominant for ever and so we're we're taught kind of a whitewashed version of history and it's not until stories like this are released and put on a on a you know a main stage or a big stage that we actually hear about these things and, and yes it is on us to educate ourselves like i i don't think that my black friends or my native american friends or my you know my vietnamese friends or you know insert minority here i don't think my friends are responsible for educating me on any sort of like historical event that has happened to their group their their people group you know um it is on me and my own responsibility as a person in the world who exists in a world with a lot of tension and a lot of um, outrage and a lot of his history of violence right like it is on me to learn those things and not that I think that we all need to become like social justice warriors for every single thing that we see like I don't think we have the capacity for that but I do think that we can educate ourselves on these things as they come out in a broad, on a broad scale and, and begin to learn and better understand our own history and how that has impacted us, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know... And, it, and that, like, we, you and I don't live with it, but every single Native American does. And every, right, every like, black person does. Well, and it, I mean, it really, 
it hits on like the intergenerational trauma that these these other like people groups experience and have have to deal with on a day-to-day basis that you and I don't have to deal with like we may have intergenerational trauma due to our like our respective families own stuff but it's not it's it's not this deep ingrained racial trauma that that the native americans and black people deal with yep on and have been dealing with for actual centuries right like so it's a different type of intergenerational trauma that we experience as as white people um and so i don't know so so i say all that to say like this is not necessarily a movie like you said it's not a movie you throw on it's not a casual watch it is a movie that you are i think supposed to wrestle with yep and supposed to 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 figure out like what not that necessarily what it means to you but 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 how to move forward like because nothing is resolved in the movie and i think he means for it to be that way day native americans are are fighting for for their 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 lives i mean fighting for their lifestyle fighting for their culture fighting for their land i mean that's that is a a constant topic of conversation in the political climate of Oklahoma especially yeah and so um and and so I don't know I I just I I cannot imagine like how I, I don't know if we'll ever know the depths of what has been taken from the native american and indigenous people that that colonizers have taken from them that we have taken from them and while i can't understand that i can figure out how to play how to not play a role but how to better educate myself and be a an advocate for them right um yeah because i i think go ahead i don't know where i was gonna i was gonna kind of start to enter into final thoughts about about the movie yeah let's do that uh the i was gonna read you ao edibiri we love her uh bottoms and the bear um is also a prominent letterbox member has a great little review of this movie and i think it's a great way to end this podcast too in a movie that contains so much greed and monstrosity i left with so many thoughts and feelings on endurance compassion care and love we're all so lucky to be alive at the same time as martin scorsese i can't even do a joke Mm -hmm. for this lol i'm too moved (laughs) which was funny Mm -hmm. a funny way to end it but uh that is how that is how i feel i think that the um native americans who will react strongly to this movie like devry jacobs and the other um 
unspecified um, individual who had a role to play with this movie that I can't remember. And my apologies for that. The it is very important to listen is very important to know um, and to listen to uh, other perspectives and just kind of understand that this is a portrayal of a really terrible uh, true history and uh, a really terrible true story of betrayal. Um, and it's really important. And that's why we're talking about it. Um, it's important history. It's important um, as far as uh, American cinema goes. And it's, a, mm-hmm. and it's an amazing entry for Martin Scorsese. I wanted to shout out Robbie Robertson. We didn't uh, talk about his music, but his music is really, really good and really kind of droll and just plotting but not boring but very like ominous throughout the entire movie Mm -hmm. it's really good he passed away two months before the movie was released he was one of martin scorsese's best friends um and rodrigo prieto also shot barbie he's the cinematographer on this movie he shot i think four or five of the last um Scorsese picks and this movie looks really really good so what a year he's having yeah seriously him and uh Hoyta Van Hoytema like they're they're gonna be like the two new deacons um Mm -hmm. yeah so uh and the costumes are really good in this movie our direction Michael Diner Jordan Crockett several others set decoration Adam Willis um and Jacqueline West's costume design, Cheryl Beasley, back Blackwell and Gina have have a have a Harry, and yeah, so it's yeah everything looks amazing in this movie. So do you have any mm-hmm. kind of final final shout outs? My final thoughts on this movie are the. <laughs> This, I wrote this on my Letterboxd review um, that this movie would not like a, the state Oklahoma State Superintendent Ryan Walters who's an absolute asshat he's the absolute worst I hate this man wait what's his role and I know he is the state superintendent gotcha he hates public schools which is literally his job anyway he keeps banning everything like anything related to race or sexuality or gender or anything like that he keeps banning it this would not like if a teacher talked about this film they would be fired in the state of oklahoma so if anyone is curious about how things are going in oklahoma it's not great yeah but that to say this is something that i think is is necessary to understand Oklahoman history but also American history and if anyone is curious about learning more about Oklahoma history there is a book called Boomtown and it is written by hold please I'm gonna look it up because I can't remember what the guy's name is um Boomtown is written by Sam Anderson who is a sports writer and he was sent to Oklahoma City to cover the thunder during their big 
uh, NBA playoffs run back in 2012. And it's called Boomtown, the Fantastical Saga of Oklahoma City. It's chaotic founding. It's a apocalyptic weather it's purloined basketball team and the dream of becoming a world-class metropolis it really encapsulates i think just how just so the, all the ironies of oklahoma specifically oklahoma city but just oklahoma itself and i think it really gets at a lot of the stuff that i think and it may be a more lighthearted way mm-hmm. um of just some of the the atrocities of Oklahoma, but also kind of some of the weird stuff that has happened in this state for this state to exist. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's my final, that's my pl- final plug for anything not related to this movie. But yeah, this movie is fantastic. It's also go see it. heartbreaking. Yeah. Go see it. Yep. So, so much, that's to, all I got. so much to experience. Um, yeah. Our next episode is going to be Prince of Egypt, so a little Ooh. bit, little bit more fun, a little bit more light, and uh, best Christian movie ever made? Question mark. Question mark. It'll be fun to talk about. Um, and yeah, thank you for listening. This episode was produced by Walter Lyle, and um, our music is by Corden Jocks and Macy Lummis, who got married this past weekend. Whoop whoop. Whoop whoop. And yeah, our next episode is Prince of Egypt. So thank you for listening. So thank you so much for your support. And we will um, see you guys in a couple weeks. Have a good Whoop. evening, night, morning, however you choose to experience this podcast. Whatever time of day it is. Peace. Have a good one. Out.